It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The Bengals made a 53-man roster move today, and looking at the analytics, the Bengals don't look like a very good football team, and by analytics, I mean pro football focus and football outsiders. We'll dive into both of those metrics in just a minute. We're also going to take some listener questions this week. You guys sent us a bunch of questions asking specifically about things we saw on film, so we'll get to that in the later segments of the show. The Cincinnati Bengals today promoted Greg Maben, the cornerback we talked about yesterday, to the practice squad and in turn waived guard Keaton Sutherland. This is an indicator that Michael Jordan is ready to get back onto the active 45-man roster. And that's going to continue to be a competition, it sounds like, between Billy Price and Michael Jordan for left guard. Billy Price acquitted himself quite well, I would say, in his first start of the season against the Buffalo Bills. Joe, you watched Billy Price in detail. What did you see? I saw a strong, tough um, veteran blocker at this point. It's surprising to say that because really he's hasn't even started a full season with the injuries of last year. But I think in direct comparison to Michael Jordan, who is a fourth-round rookie at left guard, I thought it instantly gave them a little bit of a boost. They could do some different things. I think we saw the run game expand just a little bit more. I think we saw the screen game work for the first time all year to the running backs. And I think lar- largely that was because of Billy Price when watching him on film. There was a couple of plays I isolated in my article for The Athletic where he really stood out in terms of uh, that play was successful because of Billy Price's block. And I think the way Zach Taylor said, uh, he was very noncommittal that Michael Jordan will, will regain that position when he is healthy. Offensive line coach Jim Turner has speaking, spoken very highly of Michael Jordan so far, saying that he's played very well, when I think um, most people would disagree with that assessment and that maybe Billy Price should be able to take that position over at the left guard spot. There were a number of plays I noticed when I was rewatching the coaches' film angles of the game where a lot of the offensive line wasn't even holding up in pass protection, but the two guys that were were the center and the left guard, Billy Price and Trey Hopkins. So those seem to be the two guys that are performing the best on the offensive line right now for the Bengals. And another big boost could be Cordy Glenn. He's been in the concussion protocol now for well over a month. This could be a sign that he's almost going to return to practice. We'll have to wait and see. The Bengals, with their Monday night game, have a delayed practice schedule this week, so their first practice of the week will actually come on Thursday. And whispers from Paul Brown Stadium suggest that they may expect him to play this Monday night, and uh, it's not as scary as it once potentially seemed with it being such a long 
absence for Cordy Glenn. But if he's back and it's an upgrade at left tackle for the Bengals instantly, if Billy Price holds on to the left guard job, it could again be an instant upgrade from Michael Jordan. And if that's the case, I think I like this offensive line much more than I did just through the first two weeks of the season. So the return of Cordy Glenn and installation of Billy Price could be a boon for this offense that really needs it. If you look at Pro Football Focus and Football Outsiders, DVOA, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, the value over average, which takes your performance and different down in distance and compares it to what is expected from an average team in the NFL. The Bengals are the second worst team in the NFL. And Miami, which is one of the worst teams ever, if you ask Football Outsiders, actually, they are the worst team through three weeks since the 1980s. The Bengals being second worst, well, that means they're quite bad by these metrics. Of course, third worst is Pittsburgh, and that's your Monday night football matchup this week. So if you're asking football outsiders, the second and third worst teams in the NFL will play each other in primetime this week, and you look at the Monday night schedule for the next few weeks, it doesn't really get that much better. Can they both lose? Or are we looking at a tie game here? This doesn't look uh, very promising. Of course, we'll be watching, right, Bengals fans? So uh, Bengals going into Pittsburgh Monday night where they've struggled and where uh, Pittsburgh has had their number. But, I mean, no Big Ben, new head coach for the Bengals. I think this one could go either way when both teams are 0-3 right now. Mason Rudolph, who took over for Ben Roethlisberger, had the second lowest average air yards per attempt, I believe, last week in his only start for Pittsburgh so far this season. I think it was 2.2 average air yards per attempt, and that's a very small number. Not a lot of passes going downfield, and there's some talk that those Pittsburgh receivers can threaten the Bengals' corners, but if you're talking about throwing two-yard passes, I'm not as worried about it. Yeah, just two passes all game last week were completed over the line of scrimmage for Mason Rudolph. So I would expect the Bengals to bring things tight, maybe blitz a little bit more and make Rudolph beat them. Take away James Conner in the running game, uh, maybe double Juju Smith-Schuster because there's really hasn't been anybody for Pittsburgh really threatening outside of Schuster. So uh, I wonder if that's the, the key for the Bengals defensively. The Steelers, according to Pro Football Focus, are the fourth worst team in football. The Bengals still the second worst, according to PFF. So not a lot of rosiness coming from the analytics community on either of these teams. But if you look at the individual strengths, the Steelers' only real strength going for them on offense is pass blocking. On the defensive side of the ball, they've still got it going on in their front seven. That is the strength of the defense. But outside of that, neither of these teams look very strong. And The Bengals have a chance here to go in and get a win. Started out right in Pittsburgh under Zach Taylor. It's Steelers week. The Bengals don't have a home game until they host the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray in a few weeks. But if you need tickets, you should probably go check out Vivid Seats, the online ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that will last a lifetime. And if Kyler Murray is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, there's your experience of a lifetime, Joe. Yeah, but also if you want to see the one of the Bengals' three wins this year, that might be a great game to get tickets to. Three wins. Ouch. Vivid Seats orders are backed by a 100% guarantee, which gives me a lot of peace of mind. I don't know about you. In the age of the internet, it's nice to have that guarantee. And there's a rewards program. Joe, tell them about it. With the reward status ranging from MVP to Hall of Famer, Customers can earn from 10% to up to 16% credit on all their purchases through the Vivid Seats app. Go get it from the app store of your choice if you're iPhone or Android and try promo code KICKOFF at checkout for a discount of up to $100. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. 
So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. My bookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. And since we didn't get to a full film review podcast, because we had a lot of interviews this week in the crossover Wednesday, we had a, a full jam-packed week. We solicited your questions that largely uh, focused on player evaluation and film breakdown. So you guys sent us a bunch of them, which is great. First one here, we're going to jump right into it, is from Tony Ritchie. And Tony asks, Jake, I would be interested to know Brian Callahan's role as offensive coordinator. With Taylor calling the plays, it would be interesting to know how much Callahan has to do with the game plan and how much input he has on Sundays with plays. The thing to know about Brian Callahan is he and Zach Taylor are in lockstep. These two guys are thinking pretty much the same thing at pretty much every turn. And those two together are part of the reason why you're seeing the Bengals come out later in games and make adjustments. These two can do something that the Bengals haven't done in the last 15, 20 years, and that is make adjustments on the fly. What they have to get better at, and you can go look at uh, my timeline for this, actually. I tweeted out, uh, somebody did uh, the scripted plays, EPA on scripted plays, first 15 plays of the game. Bengals are near the bottom of the league in that metric. They used to be really good at that under Ken Zampezi, under uh, Bill Lazor, Mm -hmm. the last few offensive coordinators. So what is Brian Callahan doing? He's up in the booth, right? Zach Taylor's on the field calling plays. Callahan's getting that bird's eye view in the booth. They're collaborating on play calling. They're collaborating on game planning. So no, he's not calling the plays, but he has a big hand in what Zach Taylor gets from an information perspective. And he'll shape the play calls later in the game based on their communication. I bet this is similar to what the Rams do. McVay calls the plays. He is, for all intents and purposes, the offensive designer and play caller. But... Uh, Zach Taylor even said he had a lot of input in that last year just as a quarterback's coach. So um, I, I would assume it's something pretty similar to that. The difference, I think, with McVay is, and I love this on Twitter, somebody called Jared Goff his quarterback surrogate. Yeah. And there's there's a gif of, of or a gif, sorry, gifers, of, of uh, Jared Goff just looking blankly out of the defense waiting for Sean McVay to tell him what to do. And that's just, I love that. That's my favorite thing on the internet right now. If you don't know what Jake's referring to, uh, McVay's known for, because you have up until the play clock reaches 15 seconds left, the quarterback can listen to the coach. So if you get to the line real fast, and I think actually Logie asked about this, but if you get to the line really fast, uh, the quarterback or the coach can tell the quarterback, hey, look, they're in single high, expect them to rotate here. You want, I want you to hit the seam or the, or the comeback route. You know, he's telling them as you get up there until 15 seconds, it's on the clock, radio goes silent. So what you saw in this in this clip on, on Twitter was uh, is, is Jared Goff steps back and he's looking at the defense just waiting for Sean McVay to tell him something. It, it appears at very least he just looks completely blank and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then he goes and, they st- and he calls an audible with the, with the rest of the offense. 
It's not like he's looking at the linebackers or pointing anything out or making any calls. He's literally just standing back there with a blank stare on his face. It's great. Right. Last note on Brian Callahan, though, before we get to our next question is, I think that he has an incredibly bright future in the NFL. And if he gets a shot at calling plays or going out and head coaching somewhere, I think he could very easily be the next Kyle Shanahan, that kind of caliber of coach and play caller. He just is incredibly smart. And every time he talks, I find myself agreeing with what he has to say. Our next question comes from McCarran guy, and I'm already questioning that we're taking this question from a McCarran guy, but you're a Bengals right. fan, so we'll do it. At Bearded Bagel asks, if Price looks decent, Mike Jordan would be interesting to see at tackle. He seems athletic enough, even though I can't see his RAS, his relative athletic score compared to offensive tackle, and he has some measurables you'd want. Glenn transitioned for guard to tackle out of college, so maybe the same career evolution. Yeah, but Glenn did play tackle at um, Georgia. So I'm not sure that's a fair comparable, but I will say Jordan, I believe he was recruited, Jake. I, we talked about this during the draft process. He was recruited as a tackle and, and a highly recruited tackle. I believe he actually backed up there his freshman year before moving to guard as an opening came up. Uh, but he's got the size and athleticism. I think Michael Jordan does have a chance there. It seems they have no interest, or at least you would think they would have put him at that spot already or given him uh, maybe mini camp, rookie mini camp reps there, training camp reps there. If you were, go, go to mockdraftable.com. That's what I use for a lot of athleticism testing and comparables. He comes up as an offensive tackle first because he's nearly 6'6", 312 pounds, and has 34 and a quarter inch arms. I mean, that's prototype uh, tackle size. And you look at his agility and, and explosiveness, three cone, all of it passes. The short shuttle is 57 percentile. Yeah, I would say based off that, he should be able to play that position. Now, why hasn't he? Why didn't he for Ohio State? And why haven't the Bengals given him a chance? Uh, maybe he's just not technically refined for that position. And right now it would take him much longer to see the field at tackle than it would at guard. Next question is from Robert Foose at rfoose33. He said he, he watched Joe's film review of Billy Price. Thank you, Robert. Uh, he looked decent to me and had upside at guard. What do you think, Jake? I also watched your piece read your piece on The Athletic about Billy Price and through my own film review today, like I said earlier in the show, there were numerous occasions where it looked like the only two guys doing their job on the offensive line were the left guard and the center. And I think that you can just roll those guys out until they prove they can't do it. I think that Michael Jordan could very well be a fine guard in the NFL at some point in his career. I hope they start working him at right guard, to be honest, because if John Miller is going to be this up and down every week, he had a terrible week three. Mm-hmm. He had a bad week three in pass protection and in run blocking. There were numerous plays where he was at fault. We talk a lot about the tackles. That's the primary issue on this offensive line. Getting Cordy Glenn back out there is a massive step up because Andre Smith is at this point in his career, he's like a third string tackle and he's out there starting for the Bengals right now. And he was their third choice of tackle behind Jonah right. Williams and Cordy Glenn. So yeah, I absolutely think that you give Billy Price another chance. He didn't grade great from PFF. I don't know if I entirely agree with that. There were a couple plays that he didn't necessarily win, but I thought he was better than Jordan. I thought he was good enough. Yeah. Evaluation-wise, I think, and that's the difference between evaluation and execution, where I think PFF is, is strong on the execution. Obviously, they are. I think that's what their, their purpose of grading is with a touch of evaluation. For here, for me, there were some plays where he – uh, ended up in a, in a stalemate with like Ed Oliver. But to me, I'm like, yes, look at that. Look at him recover on that one and, and hold up. So I was happy with the way he performed, even if um, he did have some errors and he did. But I think uh, 
he definitely outplayed what we've seen of Michael Jordan through two weeks. That isn't to say, like like you said about Miller, and that's the thing I've been saying to a lot of Bengals fans because they're like, well, let's get Jordan and Price out there. Well, Miller's been their best guard so far. It's not saying a lot, but he has been based on the the one okay game week one, really good game week two, bad game week three, and I guess we'll have to see how the up and down he is throughout his his uh his the whole season or as long as he holds the starting job because I remember that was an issue in Buffalo. And Alex Redmond is back off suspension after this True. week, so he might be your backup right guard at that point in time. Regardless, I think that if it's Mike Jordan, if it's Billy Price, those guys should be getting reps at both guard positions because if you're talking about Jordan as your guard of the future, let him get let him get reps in on both sides. Our next question comes from Queen City fan. Is there a reason that the Bengals don't take deep shots to Tyler Boyd? He has elite hands, above average body control, but he seems to only get 10-yard passes. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, there was one play where he had a decent deep play, and it was uh, he's basically running off the back of, of John Ross. As Ross is going deep. He's pulling that safety in that, in, in that inside corner out of the play, and then Boyd cuts behind him and gets him open. Um, Boyd's not the fastest guy. We know that. Uh, but you think with his body control and his hands and his strength, he should be able to win some deep balls, and he does once in a while. But he's primarily a slot guy. Normally your deep passes come from the boundary. And the slot guys, it's harder because you've got to split some safeties or you're going to have to throw it deep 25, 30 yards downfield, a little bit stronger, a little bit tighter to make it between some defenders. And I don't think we've got the guy for that. I don't want to blame any Dalton on this, but it's just a bad mix with a guy that's not super fast and a guy that doesn't have a great arm. I think he's at best uh, when Boyd is running these option routes from the slot and getting open and being available for Andy Dalton. So uh, I'm not upset that he doesn't get more deep passes. I think there are ways to scheme him open to get those. Uh, they just I don't think they've hit on them recently. Yeah, I mean, we had the one wheel route kind of thing. Yeah, There are a couple of shots they've taken on the reverse wheel. Another one was a, an, an actual wheel, I think, if I recall correctly, behind John Ross. That might be the one you're talking about there. Uh, but yeah, like you said, he's not that fast. He's not going to get separation on downfield targets. It's going to be harder for him. He is really, really good though. Coming back to the ball, he's really good on timing routes and that's a valuable skill set too. You you don't want to knock that. Next question from John Plymeyer. What is the difference in the D from week one to now against Seattle? The reaction and speed were noticeably better than they were last year. Since then, they seem to have reverted reverted back to last year. Are they thinking too much now? There are a couple times I thought that Lou Anarumo maybe thought too much about the play calls, and I'm talking about the first half against Buffalo where he rushed three or less three times, and none of those plays worked. Josh Allen, I think, had completions or positive gains on every every one of those attempts. Uh, But I think that this unit lives and dies with the defensive line. The linebackers are not making any plays in the run game. So if the defensive line loses, if one of those guys loses at the point of attack, they're going to give up yards in the run game. And you saw Frank Gore get through some impossibly small holes just because there's no linebacker there to fill it. And so the defensive line is maybe doing a good job of squeezing Frank Gore into one spot, and then there's nobody there to take that away. Frank Gore also had a really good game. I mean, the balance from that guy as a 57-year-old running back in the NFL is elite. I mean... Frank Gore is an ageless wonder. There's a reason he's earned that moniker. But the difference between week one to now is, I think, the caliber of offensive line they're facing. Seattle's offensive line, while it's improved a little bit, is still not nearly as good as San Francisco, who probably has the best offensive line in the league, and the Bills, who have made strides. They actually played pretty well in that offensive line. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I do... 
kind of how we talk about the offensive line. Remember when right after the draft, we were kind of saying there's no way this offensive line is going to be as bad as they were last year. This should be a better offensive line. And then injuries happen, retirement happened, things things happened. Uh, and now it kind of feels like they're worse. But then linebacker, we were kind of hopeful, right? We were like, well, maybe Nick Vigil, if he's healthy, he can play better. Preston Brown, you know, he, he was dealing with injuries almost instantly last year. They're not better. They're worse. And um, really, when you're watching them, it's, it's surprising either one of them are even on a roster at some point. Nick Vigil really lately has been really bad. Uh, and I don't want to just point to them because there's been other guys to make mistakes, too. But you know what the other part is? They couldn't convert on first on third downs on offense. And all. next thing you know, there was 45 snaps on the defense before the offense got to 20. And it's just like last year. So if you're, you're so wondering gassed. why they, Right. You look you, you wonder why they looked like last year. Last year there were so many games where they got outpaced, you know, two to one on defense to offense. And when you do that, especially in the fourth quarter, think of that Dawson Knox catch where he trampled over both safeties. That's a sure sign of fatigue. You start missing tackles. So I think that's why it started to look that way. Yeah, that and the fact that they had several defensive linemen either inactive or de facto inactive. Carl Lawson couldn't play, Glasgow couldn't play. So those defensive linemen were getting gassed too. But you look, you go back, if you go back and rewatch the first half, you'll see just how bad of positions the defense was put in by the offense just not doing anything. And it was like key plays that the offense wasn't converting. In a couple of seconds, we'll get back to the rest of your questions. But if you're anything like me, you're not watching your bank account. You're not keeping an eye on it on a day-to-day basis. Every now and then you'll go look and see, oh, yeah, I got paid today. Dope. That's nice. But one day you go and look and you, you didn't pay attention for a while and you're overdrawn and it's too late and you get charged an overdraft fee and it's $37 on a cup of coffee. So we're here to tell you today about the Dave app. Joe, tell them why it'll put an end to overdraft fees for good. Well, Dave is the number one budgeting app in America because it saves you from overdraft fees, tells you about upcoming bills, and can advance you $75 from your next paycheck with no credit and no interest. Mark Cuban is an investor in Dave, and the reason he got into it is because he got crushed by overdraft fees in his 20s and wants you to never pay an overdraft fee again. You watch Shark Tank, the stuff that Mark Cuban gets behind, those are winners. Go to dave.com slash locked on. It really helps the show if you let them know that you heard about them here. Then download Dave and never pay another overdraft fee again. It's immediate savings. Go to dave.com slash locked on. D-A-V-E dot com slash locked on. Overdraft fees. More like no-verdraft fees. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joe's got some real dad jokes today. Our next question comes from Jeff Johnson at Showstopper 2003. That was definitely his AOL name, right? Yeah, like 2002, making it up. I still have mine. Was it bad? Oh, no. It doesn't make any sense, but it's not bad. His question is, why do you think the play of our starting safeties seems to have regressed? Does it seem to have more to do with scheme, or did they look any better in week three? And this was a common question. A lot of people ask, what's wrong with Jesse Bates? Yeah, and they're playing more 
deep free safety. So what I mean is uh, any cover one, cover three. So Bates has a little bit more room to roam. And I know he's billed as the prototype free safety that you want to do that. Uh, but Bengals did play a lot of quarters and, and too high uh, coverage last year. And when you, when you go back to Wake Forest, Bates played a lot of too high safety, and that's where he was really good. So I know he's supposed to transition into this free safety and be that guy, and we still all think and hope he will be. But you can see he's had some struggles uh, so far early in this season, and maybe the Bengals switch it up and do a little bit different with him. But I do think it's had an effect. And what it's done for Sean Williams, I think I like Sean Williams, and I think we're seeing him play much more linebacker this year than ever before, and that should be a good thing. But I also think that means we're seeing a little bit of roughness around the edges. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a transition period happening there to getting used to a little bit of a different back end of coverage. They're also doing a little bit more exotic zone stuff than I think we saw previously under For Marvin sure. Lewis, where with Marvin Lewis, it was a lot more execute your job, don't try to trick people so much. And now we're seeing a little bit more inverted zones and late rotations, that sort of thing. But like you said, Joe, there's not much even coverage on the back end. So that meaning uh, there's a safety in the middle of the field responsible for both sides of the field, not just one side of the field. So that makes it a little bit harder for him. Definitely think there's a bit of an adjustment period going on. Next question from Zach Smith at Hyrule ZS92. Did Darius Phillips show enough to give hope that he can be a future starter in the secondary? Or do we still need to see more from him? I don't know about future starter, but I liked what I saw from Darius Phillips against the Buffalo Bills, and I think he has certainly earned more snaps. I think he's better than Tony McRae in coverage right now. I think he's still their best kick returner. He might be their best punt returner if he would ever get chances at it. And I think what he doesn't do yet at the level of Tony McRae is defend the run. Tony McRae is a little bit better. He's a little bit more physical. Somebody on Twitter mentioned me in a tweet and said, Tony McRae is a linebacker stuck in a corner's body. The way he plays and and his athleticism, the way he uh, supports the run. He's, he's a, he had a couple good plays, busted up that screen in the backfield uh, to get off the field on a third and short against Buffalo. Came down on a couple runs, had a really nice hit on Josh Allen on a slot corner blitz, but he's also a little bit late to get there. I thought he was a little bit late uh, off the snap. He was. So, um, Tony McRae doesn't have in coverage what Darius Phillips can offer you. And I think Darius Phillips can play both inside and outside if he needs to. So I think there's a lot of upside there. Yeah, I was really happy to see Phillips getting rotated in. I was afraid that, you know, he played a lot of nickel last year in the slot. And then it seemed like they put him outside on the boundary with this team. Uh, So I was kind of concerned that it would be only McRae filling in for BW Webb. But then so I was interested when I went back and review was, okay, what are they rotating? When are they rotating? Is it based on series? Is it based on what they're trying to call? And it seemed like Phillips got in when they played man coverage or they played man coverage when Phillips got in. And, man, he was pretty good. Uh, He was a few times matched up with Cole Beasley and Beasley could not get off him and uh, no surprise there because Phillips is a very athletic guy without the top end speed great matchup for Beasley right in that sense uh, there was one play where he got beat down the sideline and the ball didn't get thrown there I think Allen got pressured and I thought okay that's good but uh, you know that was one of the first plays he was out there and then he had a really good game the interception the kick return I mean it just showed his high end ability I do think there's a chance he could be your number three corner I want to see more the question should he do we need to see more yeah of course I want to see more of all the young guys especially the ones that flash the way Phillips does and I'd rather see Phillips and Tony McRae even if Tony McRae is a better run defender and the Bengals are susceptible to the runs so they do need the help from the corners because the corners haven't been good in that phase of the game next question comes from Alex at Alex node one did Jermaine Pratt show anything against Buffalo 
How was he? He didn't. Um, on review, there were just there wasn't anything there. He looked like the rest of the linebackers that we've seen this year, where they're a step too slow, a little bit unsure of what they're doing. Uh, there was one play in particular where the lineman climbed up to the second level and just destroyed him. I, and I tweeted at the time it was his welcome to the NFL moment. Uh, but Pratt, you know, it's funny because I didn't. The only linebacker I actually noticed up there in a positive way was Leroy Reynolds. I don't know if you did this because 55. I'm like, who is this 55? Is it Vontez perfect? It's the first time we saw this guy. And then he was actually pretty fast and quick out there. Uh, he didn't really make a play or anything, but I just noticed he had some spunk to him when he ran where all the other guys did not. And maybe that's because he hasn't been um, fully indoctrinated into how to play linebacker for the Bengals yet because he's only been here for two weeks. No, no, no. You're not actually supposed to run sideline to sideline. You're supposed to wear the cement shoes. It's a big problem for the Bengals, though, the sideline-to-sideline stuff. And the announcing crew talked about this a little bit. They're getting attacked horizontally in the run game. And that's because their linebackers cannot get sideline-to-sideline. Nick Vigil isn't going to get there on that angle that he has to take. And he's their fastest of their two linebackers until you're nine yards down the field. And we saw that numerous times against Buffalo. Yeah, we did. Next question is from Alex Grigsby. Alex, welcome back to the show. He's, he wants us to rank the starting O-line from best to worst. And I think we can take some liberties here with who the uh, the left guard is. What do you think even left tackle, Jake? Should we mention like seven guys here? I guess so. Okay, sure. So Trey Hopkins is number one for me. Cordy Glenn is number two for me, I hope. Uh, Billy Price might be number three. John Miller, four. Bobby Hart, five. Andre Smith, six. That's only six guys. Who am I forgetting? Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. Forget yeah, him. I forgot him. He would go above Andre Smith at least. Right. I was going to say that too. I don't know if he's over Bobby Hart. Bobby Hart's actually been pretty steady for being bad, right? He hasn't had many explosively bad plays the way he, he did last year. And, and the penalties are down, which are, are great for him. But the penalties uh, being down is a big thing for Bobby Hart, yeah. though, because he has still had a few pretty bad beats, but Andre Smith is getting beat worse on the same yeah. play. So you don't notice it as much. There but, was a few uh, of those. Yeah. Several times Dalton tries to step up, and the guy that, the guy that's this is Bobby Hart and John Miller against Buffalo. Both of them would get beaten. Dalton would try to step up as Andre Smith's trying to run guys deep, and then there's nowhere to step up. Yeah. So uh, I would also say, yes, Hopkins has been number one. Cordy Glenn should be number two. He could even be number one if he if he plays well. Um, I would put John Miller next because I, I think – the upside that he showed week two was really good. If you got that every week, man, I think John Miller can make the Pro Bowl. But obviously, we're not going to get that. I don't think we are. That's one of the reasons why he was available for cheap in the offseason, relatively cheap. And then I'll also say Billy Price. Then I'll go Bobby Hart. I will put Michael Jordan over Andre Smith for the upside. Smith has no upside, and he's been horrific. So he's the last guy of these seven. Andre Smith did have one nice block on that little misdirection pitch play that went down to the half-yard line. He got out there and yes. got his hands on the cornerback. And it's nothing against Andre Smith. He's just, at this point in his career, he's a third or fourth tackle, left tackle, right Right. tackle, whatever, not like overall tackle. Bobby Hart this year looks like a solid backup tackle. Andre Smith looks like a, oh shit, we have to play somebody a tackle. We can't just put a tight end to that position tackle. Right. (laughs) We got to roll somebody out there. Next question comes from Logie B513. We all know Logie. Last week, the Bengals offense looked its best when they went hurry up, get to the line fast, and let Dalton check to the best play. I don't agree with this already. Why can't they just do this on a regular basis? Why are they getting to the line faster? I hate that they keep snapping it with two seconds left on the play clock. 
There's a lot to unpack there because, Jake, you said you don't agree that they look better in the no huddle. You want to expand on that first? I, I thought that there were a few times when Dalton was checking to plays and he checked to bad plays. Mm. And the one drive that stands out to me in particular is the one where they go bubble screen left, run for no gain on second and 13, and a screen to the right. And Dalton changed the play on at least two of those, if not three yeah. of them. There were several yeah. times throughout the game when I thought he checked into the wrong play or didn't get them out of a play that looked like it was clearly not going to work from a numbers perspective. That's one of the things about him being very um, structured, where if a defense shows, hey, we got two high safeties, he'll check to the run because that's what you're supposed to do. But that's that worked when a you... few times too. Right, and that's kind of when, like, it's second and long. We're going, why are they calling runs? Well, if you watch it and listen to it, on, on, you know, again, you see, oh, I think Dalton checked into that one there because um, the Bengals have a lot of package plays in their offense and a lot of a check in their offense where they can quickly go from run to a pass. As you see, there's a lot of RPOs, a lot of RPOs in this offense. And um, if the defense shows you one and then rotates in the other, Buffalo is really good at that. And we talked about this before last week, that Buffalo's got a really good defense. I think everyone saw it this week, uh, if you weren't aware of it. And uh, they will show you one thing and completely switch it on you. And I think that will cause you to have issues. But so no huddle could potentially um, fix that, right? No huddle, if you are out there and you're running fast pace and you're going, the defense will actually line up and not try to trick you as much because they don't know when you're going to snap the ball they're going to try and get in their defense as fast as possible and allow you to read them give you more time at the line to read them if you can if you're Dalton so I don't disagree they may not have been perfect uh when they did pick up the pace this week but I do think a lot of times even in past years it has helped Dalton in order to get the defense to declare what they're doing a little bit earlier yeah I I agree with the part that snapping the ball with two seconds left isn't ideal but I think part of that this week was Buffalo was louder than Seattle they had major communication issues throughout the game you saw one tweet where uh, an assistant coach was yelling at the receivers for not knowing the play multiple times so communication was definitely a problem I think that had a lot to do with some of the late play clocks that's a loud place to play i've been there when the defense is shouting like that and the crowd is shouting like that anyways next question from kmb at 88 icky shuffle jake will drew sample ever live up to the second round pick maybe but no he's a second i mean he's a fourth round pick if he's a fourth round pick we're happy about it because i keep thinking about will disley who now is a very solid tight end but you get those guys late. Dawson Knox, you saw him. That's what, fifth round tight end? Yeah. I don't remember when Dawson Knox was drafted. Fourth. But, okay, fourth round. So, yeah, again, I'm sorry. Fourth round no, tight end. We're all wrong here. Third round. It was third round for Dawson Knox. Okay. Okay. Because I did this. I tweeted this comparison because I did think about it when Knox was playing as he was and running people over. And I'm thinking, man, Drew Sample better run someone over on this next drive or else I'm feeling some type of way about this. Is Knox 85? 88. 88. Okay. Whoever Lee 85 Smith. is. He's blocking some defensive ends pretty well. 85 for Buffalo was blocking Carlos Dunlap a couple plays. He is on my shadow draft team from like nine years ago. Lee Smith is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. He had a very good game. Drew Sample has a long way to go, though. We're not ready to judge his career on three games as a tight end. Tight ends, I talked about this with CJ Uzama, take some time to acclimate to the NFL, but he's got a long way to go. Let's just One more point. On Lee Smith, he was a seventh-round pick, so that's where you take those best best blockers ever. When that's where they go if they can't really run routes or catch. Lee Smith might be a better left tackle than Andre Smith. Next question comes from the guy no longer dethroned from his lead in the Lockdown Bengals Fantasy League, Dusty Balls 08, New Day Dusty. 
Really wondering what's up with Eifert. Thought he should be a big factor with AJ out, but he hasn't been. Has he lost that much of a step or is it that Zach Taylor and Andy Dalton aren't utilizing him enough? I actually looked into this too because I thought when I'm watching him, like, man, you know, he's just not out there enough. And I'm looking at his snaps. I'm looking at where he's snapping. And it was like a two-to-one ratio week one that he was at receiver or in the slot rather than in line at the tight end position. And now it's it's 50-50 for the year. He's actually playing more in line the last couple games than out split out wide. And that's surprising to me because I, I, I still think he can take advantage of those guys. But maybe they're seeing on film or maybe they're seeing in practice that he doesn't you know, have that burst and speed anymore to really threaten as a, as a receiver. And if that's the case, fine, because he doesn't look that fast out there right now. And uh, so maybe they're just adjusting and, moving, and using him more in line. But I think uh, it could be some of Zach Taylor and Rams offense. They just don't use that tight end. That was some of the things that I think we all said when they hired Taylor is, well, they don't use tight ends, so maybe they won't value uh, Uzama. Maybe they won't value Eifert. Maybe they won't value a second-round tight end, yet they did all that, and yet they're still not using these guys. It's kind of perplexing. Yeah, not using Drew Sample in particular. Maybe that's a Duke Tobin pick that didn't fit with the staff, but everyone tells us over and over that Zach Taylor, much, much, much more so than Marvin Lewis and his staff, is a hive mind with Duke Tobin. Those guys are like Callahan in lockstep, so... I thought that Eifert has lost a step. And I watched this against Buffalo because I think like a high percentage of his plays against Buffalo where he went out and ran a pass. Even He might have been lined up in line more. But whereas in previous weeks, they split it pretty evenly between passing and blocking. This week, he was running a route almost every time he was out on the field. And I thought he had a hard time getting open. It's a shame. Next question is from Cincy Cat. At Nick and a bunch of numbers. So Nick asks, why aren't we running more double tight end sets or more two running back sets to complement this receiving core, Jake? Zach Taylor comes from an offense that ran the most 11 personnel, meaning three wide receivers in the NFL. Last year, the Bengals were the second highest rate of use of 11 personnel in the NFL, and we attributed that at the time to Tyler Eifert's injury. But combine the two, and you're a three wide receiver team most of the time. I think they like the matchups when they have three wide receivers on the field and they have lighter personnel from the opposition. And if the opposition goes heavy, then they're going to feel good about throwing the ball. When they go light, they think that's going to help their running game, especially with running backs and an offensive line that have had a hard time getting it going so far. I think putting two tight ends on the field might be to the detriment of the Bengals right now because I don't think their tight ends are necessarily good enough to warrant that. And they haven't improved the run game. If you get more heavy guys in the box and you ask the Bengals to block with eight guys in the block, eight guys in the box, and you try to run the ball, I think that's going to go worse than it already has gone. As far as two running backs, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but it's pretty infrequent around the NFL, and I don't know who you necessarily take off the field, especially when AJ Green comes back. I guess you can go out there with no tight ends, but then you're going empty, or you're going pro in shotgun, and you're asking one of the running backs to stay in and block, maybe, because I don't think they want to go empty too often right yeah the tight ends they want them to help and and that i think the final point you had there is the right point of who do you take off the field right so say eifert's out there say it's right now say when everyone's healthy right it's green ross boyd eifert and mixon who do you want to take off the field to put geo in there who do you want to take off the field to put azama in there in order to go to tight end or go to running back and i understand okay well you can do it a few times again you can and you know do it two three times a game, but it's really that a core part of your offense is a big part. Would, would half of us even notice it unless it, involved, unless it ends up being a big play? 
Probably not. You look around the league, not many people are even using two tight ends or uh, two, and definitely not two running backs. And there's a lot of teams with two good running backs. The Bengals just need to figure out how to sustain some drives and have enough offensive plays that actually use all these guys. And it's easy to question this, I think, right now after uh, an offensive day where they just couldn't sustain anything and couldn't get the backups in there to get a healthy rotation. Next question comes from Caleb at OSU Bengals. This is going back to that point we had earlier about the adjustments are there. The first drive isn't there. Is the initial game planning something that we can expect to improve? I would hope so. I think as, you know, maybe that's one of the issues. With All the numbers are out there and histo- histories out there of uh, new head coaches struggling the first quarter of the season. And maybe that's what we're seeing, right? Maybe part of that is not having the scripted plays. Jake, like you said, I wrote an article, I think, yeah, it was last year, that the Bengals had a problem going off script. Their first two drives, they routinely come out with 14 points and then not score anything the rest of the game. Uh, they were good at that. They were very good. And now it seems uh, they're much better at least once a couple drives go by and then they're ready to go. So uh, I guess that's something to really watch for. They go out and get an opening drive touchdown this week. I think we can say, hey, you know, they're making adjustments. They got the tape. They're digesting it. Maybe they're maybe that's part of being more efficient, right? A long-term coaching staff can know what to expect from the opposition a little bit quicker, digest the film, get the game plan ready, get practice this stuff, refine it, get it fine-tuned much quicker than maybe a newer staff. That's just a guess. And our last question of the day is from Almighty Almec. Do you guys think that players coming back off of injury will make this team competitive? I assume he's talking about Cordy Glenn and A.J. Green. If not, what are some realistic moves that this team could make? And Almighty's got a little uh, side note here. He says he lives in Cincinnati and his car got broken into. But the only thing to take was his $75 Bengals jacket, and it was still there when he got back. That's sad. I'm sorry for your car. (laughs) But at least you still have your jacket, I guess, if you want it anymore. I think that Cordy Glenn and A.J. Green coming back are two of the most impactful returns from injury that this offense could possibly have. So, yeah, I think that makes them more competitive in a vacuum. As far as other realistic moves this team can make, I can't think of any. I can't remember the last time the Bengals made an in-season trade or acquisition that substantially boosted the outlook for the rest of the year. There's no substantial move. I mean, I guess like the... The Seahawks trading for Dwayne Brown, right, at, at the midpoint last year. There was teams that traded for, like, Golden Tate and Demarius Thomas. Neither of those worked out for those teams. Uh, so there will be some midseason trades, and I guess we'll have to see who's available at the time and, and, and see if you could even fathom doing that because are the Bengals, what are, what's their record at that point? If they're somehow 5-3, and three, then sure, maybe we should think about it. And at that point, maybe it's a tackle, maybe it's a linebacker, maybe it's something they desperately need. Uh, but as they sit today, the best moves are just depth. The final five guys on the roster are really the only ones that are fluid, and it would be a pl- it would be a player they pick up that probably wouldn't impact them at all this year. I can't imagine what it would be, and if they do make that kind of move, it would surprise us. I wouldn't object to it, but it would surprise us, and I would object to it if it cost them their first round pick, depending on how the next few weeks go. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Thanks for all the questions. Tomorrow we'll be back. We'll start to shift gears and focus onto Steelers week proper as the Bengals will start practicing for that opponent. First Monday night game under Zach Taylor. First Pittsburgh game under Zach Taylor. We're certainly hoping it's a win. We also hope to have a Bengals interview tomorrow, so look forward to that. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Bengals fans. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.